Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together with my co-host, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc, how's it going? It's going pretty awesome, man. Uh, there's a lot to do. I have to get more sleep, but that sounds familiar. But I'm in, I'm in a good place. Yeah, I'm in a you good look place. pretty good today. Yeah, it's, it's, that's just water, man. Just water. <laughs> water and good but, lighting. Yeah, it, it, it feels right. It feels right, but it's it's it, it's all the facades, you know, like behind there, shopping things like ah, just kidding. No, so I think today's topic is really interesting in the sense that it just came across from a different perspective. I think we look at it from different perspectives, but it it kind of melted together, and it brings me back thirteen years almost to my master year. So when we were prepping this episode, I mentioned like Salman Rushdie, Salman Rushdie, which is a British Indian author, got attacked a couple of weeks ago in, in, mm-hmm. in New York in the US and he got stabbed and there are some lasting complications with his body now. And you were like, wait a minute, where the, is the link between that and, and dual citizenship? And I was like, okay, I have to explain like, like how this link came about. And I have to go all the way back, all the way back to my master thesis. This was when you were in the Netherlands or I was, in Europe? I actually, I came across Salman Rushdie. I, I first heard of Salman Rushdie when I was studying in Manchester. I was studying in Manchester and, and Timo, Timo Faust, one of my, my fellow students, was specialized in narratives, like narratives as in when you write a novel, like how do you incorporate the narrative, the urban narrative, so the the narrative of the city. So when you write a novel, which could be like a novel, just just a book, which is nice to read, it could be fiction, but there will be certain elements where you kind of explain what the context is, where this person is living. Yeah. And that was his specialization and to say like the, the narrative, the urban narrative. So like how would writers and artists describe the, the urban fabric? So the city where the book would take place. Very, very interesting stuff. So basically and setting the stage and the setting the, 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 setting the stage and the parameters. So that was really interesting. And I came across uh, Samuel Rushdie because I'm, I was looking from the city from a more civic perspective the role of a city to integrate between minorities and the majority so also immigrants and and people from from different different ethnic backgrounds and i came across samuel rushdie because he was in his books he writes the the narrative is very strong now i'm not a samuel rushdie expert i have to say that first of all i'm not even a big fan of the books in the sense that i, I wouldn't necessarily relate with the things that he's written but there is a very big discussion on issues of the, the uh, they call it the hybrid of people that research his work. Whereas he is very clear on what the role of identity is. So he's almost like saying like, I wouldn't say that he's saying like you have to assimilate or it's better to assimilate within a certain culture as a minority, but he's saying you have to take ownership for your, 
for your 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 identity, your cultural identity. And so one of the things that happens for for a lot of ethnic minorities that move to the Western world mm-hmm. uh, is they come in some kind of cultural uh, purgatory. So this is yeah. the kind of purgatory space where they kind of, they're lost in identity. They're searching for like, okay, do I belong in the, the country that I'm living in? Or do I belong to the country where my parents came from? I think, I think this is the biggest, the biggest struggle is second generation. So the first generation is just, we're going to go. We're going to go and, and life's going to be better wherever we came from to the, to the new place that we're going to. And yeah, first generation is usually escape or right. striving for... It's, it's striving for a better place, better. escaping a worse place. The third generation kind of is like, no, 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 no. Listen, you can tell me that. I know I look a little bit different, but I'm Dutch or I'm, I'm British. Or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, they I've been born, bred and raised. They consider themselves to be culturally appropriated with the, the, the city that they were born or the country that they were born in. They're like, I'm a citizen. I don't care what people say. I'm a citizen. They act like normal citizens. They, they use the same way. They have the same accent. They move the same way. They kind of conform to which, what is the, the majority culture. The narrative. So, the narrative. so, so I, I took like parts out of my master thesis, which I shortly want to discuss with you. So these are like, small paragraphs from my master thesis. So I'm going to jo- I'm going to share two of them and then we can move to the, the dual citizen aspect. So the first one is and again I was writing about community library. So with this the community library presents citizens with the possibility to develop themselves not only on the social level through culture but also on a competitive economic level by collaborating with other educational institutions outside of school libraries can benefit provide benefits for the educational development of social risers who can use the city as a lander to move up in society. Through social rising, citizens can therefore achieve self-fulfillment, providing them with the security and the space to confidently live their own lives. So basically saying like, if you have, if you have the, the self-actualization, the pyramid, you would be able to move up the pyramid and, and get a better life. So the, the, the community library would provide that space for people that come in from, from different backgrounds and have to. That's helping a lot of steps. <laughs> if you're bringing in the pyramid. Yeah. Okay. But, but. You, but you, yeah, you, go, go on. Okay. So the second, the second paragraph after that is the development of a citizen's identity, however, is largely defined by the commitment to the city. It's therefore important to empower social risers to stay after climbing the ladder of success in order to prevent up and out, meaning that people move out of their prospective neighborhoods to, play, to a place more suitable to their lifestyle. Keeping social risers in the neighborhood would benefit the community through stability from an economic perspective and also contribute to a more safe, clean, and attractive neighborhood, limiting the chances of deprivation. deprivation. The reason I bring this up, by the way, oh, this is from, uh, this is from the Florida deprivation of, of, of the, of the neighborhood. Ah, so, so basically to translate this from a more uh, urban development perspective, which I wrote it from to a more national perspective, this is the same with the brain drain. Like when, when third world countries and developing countries suffer a brain drain, 
people, social risers. So say you come from a, a, a poverty neighborhood in, somewhere in Suriname and you make it all the way up. You're a social riser. You make it all the way up to the top and you get an opportunity to go outside of Suriname, to go to a Western country, to say to Europe or to, to the U.S. And you, you are successful there. The, the most important thing is coming back to your country to help defile the, the environment that you started in. If you decide to move out, I mean, like, it's, I wouldn't even say it's egoistic. In some cases, it's just better. That's why brain, brain drains say exist. But if those people don't come back, there's no change in the neighborhoods they came from. There's no change in the countries they came from. So is the thesis, or can I constitute that, the people need to be within the neighborhood, within the environment to exude change. Yeah. So if you're, if you're like a social riser in this instance, so what happens like in, in the Netherlands, for example, for example, even in those breeding grounds where you have companies coming together and working in, in the Volkskrant, the Volkskrant building is a really big story on, on, on cultural breeding grounds where you have like startup companies all working together in one, one building. And then what happens is some of those companies succeed and they leave the environment and they, they buy their own building and they become big companies, which is awesome. But there's like no kickback to, to the community where it all started. So the same thing with a social riser or somebody who successfully transitions out from Suriname to another country. If they don't come back and they contribute back to where they came from, it stops. Kind of the development is stuck. So that's the first part of the thesis that I wanted to throw in when we were going to talk about dual citizenship. And the second one I want to throw in is also in the, I think in the same, not the same paragraph, but the, the same chapter, I also talk about the following. As aforementioned, new, new migrants often have to endure several extra steps towards integration in society as survival is their first priority. While trying to get a feel of their new environment, newcomers might find themselves in a desert, losing their identity. In this matter, the desert becomes a metaphor for otherness of race. As newcomers of different ethnic cultural backgrounds therefore become confronted with this otherness, they risk becoming in-betweeners as they might have to let go of their old identities, but they have not fully embraced the new one, therefore becoming stuck in purgatory, belonging neither to one place nor the other. With this polarity comes the struggle between the dominant and the subordinate. Connecting Baba's notion of cultural diversity, where the subordinate, the new culture is recognized, but limited to the rules of the existing dominant culture. It is therefore important to work towards cultural difference, where the new culture is acknowledged and accepted, therefore being bridged with the existing culture. In this respect, civic social space provides newcomers with a point of entry without risk of losing their identity. I put this in because, again, from, from a dual nationality perspective, but also from getting different. And I think that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about when considering Rusty. Rusty might have like a very extreme stance on this, but if you're really working towards making the world a better place, you're going to have to find a way to mix different cultures. You're just going to have to find a way. Because if you don't do that, you get a few opposing views and social media will use those few opposing views to fight each other. Like, I'm right, you're wrong. This is the way it should be. This is the way it should be. So Blackfeet in, in the Netherlands is a perfect example. Like, there are countries in the world looking at Blackfeet saying like, wait a minute, 
in 2022, how is it still possible that you have blackface? Like, how, how is it still possible? But from the other perspective, from people who have grown up with it, yeah. the Dutch who have grown up with it, for them it's a completely different association. And instead of working towards like, where's the common ground? Where's, where's the common ground that we have to meet to make this feasible for, for, both, for both sides? It's, it's only polarizing, like polarizing, polarizing, polarizing. And the reason I bring this up is because the same issue with dual, dual citizenship. So if we're going to push towards dual citizenship, because we're talking about a globalized world, we're all of a sudden going to, yeah, going to bump heads consistently because the focus will be on the polarizing part and not on bringing everything together. So I thought it was just interesting that just on a random social compost where we're going to talk about dual citizenship, I just get to refer to my master's thesis, which I haven't touched for 10 years. So I, I was about to say that you got pull pull that up in such short notice. <laughs> it's really... Yeah, because it, it really, I, I immediately thought of Salman Rushdie. And again, I have to mention that Salman Rushdie is not in my thesis. If you would go to my thesis and you would search yeah, yeah. the Salman Rushdie, you wouldn't find it, but, no, but it is the, true. The, the topic and the, the reflection. That I, yeah. I became familiar with the concept of cultural purgatory and I became familiar with, with how to deal with identity and people coming from different backgrounds and, and living in a different country where they're born. And then you get into these, these spaces. So, so that's why. And a quick shout out to, to Ruan as well, who's, who's tuning in. Who is there somewhere people can so, read your thesis? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm so actually, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to publish parts or, or of my thesis or not, but I think the, okay. especially the theoretical part of my thesis. Was, we'll check on the publishing rights, copyrights. So there's also, <laughs> I even went as far as, as finding books that support my, not my notion. This is one of the most interesting ones. Metro Marxism. Metro Marxism. Like I, I once asked, like, should I talk about Marxism? And like a lot of young Surinamese people are really interested in Mar Marxism. I'm not a Marxist. I used his theory to understand like urban development, but it's, it's complicated. So I'll throw that one out. This one comes closest to Citizenship and Migration. Citizenship and Migration. This is really, is a really interesting book. Davidson. I think this is one of the books that really intrigued me the most on, on minorities and how to deal with it. This one is, I don't remember how much I use this one, political geography, but it totally makes sense. And then the, the favorite book, but also the, the biggest thing to read through because it's so extremely difficult to understand is introduction to Shaklakan. <laughs> oh my God. Like if you're like really, this, this, this book is kind of too intellectual for me. I'm like, <laughs> and I also found the interesting. My hybrid heritage. My hybrid heritage. This is actually um, book my, made by Mark. my mother. He says it out here as well. Kidling Chumpyaki. My mom is actually bringing out a book, Diego. Yeah, I think you briefly mentioned it previously. Yeah. So my mom is actually uh, bringing out a book, Alakondre Drakamesha, which Alakondre is like something which is strong and sort of like different identities all coming to do that together. So it's uh, Alakondre and Dragon Girl. So I might, I, I actually might, should I invite her over? 
for episode. Maybe I should. That, that's you. That's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. Okay. That might be but, fun and interesting. But back to the topic. So, so yeah. we got okay. here through dual citizenship. And the reason I put on the first part is much like migrating from one country to another, dual citizenship has kind of a similar goal. You can look at dual citizenship from two perspectives, mainly the economic perspective and the cultural perspective. The cultural perspective is like dual, dual citizenship, bringing cultures more together. Yeah. And, but the main, of course, the main reason for dual citizenship is economic prosperity and growth. So, so maybe we can dive a little bit into, into that perspective and, and why you decided to bring up dual citizenship for, for this episode of Social Conference. Yes. Well, basically to start off, we've been continuously looking, you know, for opportunities because we are so isolated, I'd say, kind of restricted to interacting on a international global level through payment infrastructure, travel, just ease of doing business. It's very, yeah, restrictive for a lack of a better word. And coming across, uh, looking for these opportunities again, I was looking at PayPal options again, and I saw the list of countries that could not receive payments. And then you come, how can you use the systems that are in place around the world to navigate this complex global world? Can we use Stripe? Not like we can pay no. with Stripe, but can we receive with Stripe? It's complicated. It's even more complicated than PayPal. I, I, I'm still researching that part. Okay. okay. So <laughs> it's, it's about setting up businesses and entities. And so it, it goes more on a corporate level. So let's provide context for, for people outside of Suriname, like who have no idea, like what we struggle with in, in developing countries. Our currency, the Surinamese dollar was worn to 2.8. So I think less than 20 years ago. Yeah, around 2002, 2000, yeah, 2006, even maybe. You would, you would get 2.8 Surinamese SRDs for one dollar, US dollar. Yeah. And 15 years, 20 years later, we're at almost, almost 10 20, times. Almost yeah. 10 times. Yeah. So we went from 2.8 to 3.5 to 7 to 7.5, 8 to 14 to 17 to 21, 25, and it's, it's still kind of going up. So yeah, if you, I mean, salaries, first of all, they don't, they don't catch up with inflation. Yeah. It doesn't scale. It's, it's even sometimes, it's even sometimes a macroeconomic decision to like inflate. So you can actually match the salaries, which is a terrible concept, but okay. I, I, I won't, I won't dive into that. So that's the first thing you have to understand that it's for, for a Surinamese person who has decided to live in Suriname. So basically uh, what uh, Jean-Luc is doing now, he's writing the narrative for you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so now we have the complete scope. And the second scope that we have to understand is receiving payments. Like we're talking about PayPal not being accepted. Well, it's accepted. You can, you can pay with PayPal and Suriname, but you, you can't actually open an account and you can't connect it to a local bank, which is, which is awful. I think it's one-way traffic, basically, PayPal. Yeah. You can only send out if, if you happen yeah. to have a credit card. So that, are, that is another, the reason why I took the political geography book out as well, 
is because it's politics. So it's a geo uh, political geography as well. So what, what we deal with is that Western countries, for instance, Europe and the US have decided that if we live in Suriname, we cannot have a personal bank account in the US or in the Netherlands. So there's another like kind of really harsh distinction where they're saying like, hey, listen, we don't know where the money is coming from. We can't, we can't, we, we, we can't trace or validate where the money is coming from. So listen, if you don't live in the US, if you don't live in the Netherlands, you're not allowed to have personal bank account. Like these are kind of like things that are being put in place, making it even harder for, for Surinamese people to kind of get to their money or pay somebody or get paid. I think getting paid, that's it, it, the most the, the, most the problem statement is basically getting paid. Yeah. Especially so, for businesses that are getting more online and more international. That is the biggest, I'd say, if not the biggest obstacle now. For so my, I have to ask for you, how easy, because you're officially a dual citizen. No, I'm not. You're not? No, I'm not. You don't have uh, e-citizenship, European e-citizenship. It, it is not the same as dual citizenship. It is not a full citizenship. That is but does it all allow you to have economic benefits as seeing that you can run a business in, in Europe? It allows you to set up an entity in Estonia to provide, to, to function as a legal entity to do business. Okay. That's it. But it's not explain. you as, as an individual. Okay. So let's explain the narrative once again. Estonia is one of the front runners when it comes to digital economies and digital developments. So what Estonia did in the 90s is that they decided like, we're, we're just going to leapfrog past everybody. We're just going to make the internet environment in such a way that we get to benefit from it. And they are allowing e-residencies or e-citizenships. Yeah, it's a program they kind of invented to encourage actually people abroad to attract talent actually to go through their channels because they can economically benefit as well if businesses are set up through them because they have, you know, attractive tax system. They have the services that actually make it easy to set up a business. So all the bureaucratic stuff, they have services in place to do that for you, to represent you. And okay, they facilitate so this to make business, doing business easier within the European Union. I have to ask a question. How is Estonia different from Bulgaria and Romania? I'm just curious. Different in what context? I'm, I, I haven't been to Bulgaria and Romania, so I, I can only because they say offer what I certain, They offer certain Estonia. structures. They offer certain structures that you, have, that you can have bank accounts, that certain European laws don't apply to if you have your business set up in, in, in Romania and, and Bulgaria. So the, the first question I think we need to check yeah. is, are Bulgaria and Romania part of the European Union? I have, I have no idea, to be honest. I, I, I don't think to, Actually, so. let's, let's look it up. European Union. Yeah, yeah, Rowan. So it's been sitting here eating dust for like okay, so two years now. You're, you're an officially e-citizen of Estonia. Can you open a bank account, a European bank account with that e-citizenship? Define European, it depends on the country. What, what you can do is you can set up a business, like an entity, and yeah. through that business, open your account through. So you can have a, a partner. bank account. 
Estonian. Yeah, I yeah. mean, within that makes, network, it, yeah. it makes it difficult. But at least there is a payment structure surrounding it. I double checked Bulgaria and Romania are part of the, the EU. So they're, okay, they're fair enough. EU yeah, yeah. companies. So, but they're also kind of have a different structure to the Western European countries. So I think so. That's that's why I was interested to know like how how. What is the difference between Bulgaria, Romania, and Estonia, for example? I'd say the biggest difference is that uh, Estonia actually has a program that facilitates this through, especially through their embassies and everything. It's a national program that encourages this. I'm not so sure if if Bulgaria and Romania have something like that backed by the government and the Chamber of Commerce, right? Okay. A much easier opportunity would, of course, be dual citizenship. Because if you have the dual citizenship, then it, it becomes easier. There are some. So, do you, are you familiar with why there's no dual citizenship officially in Suriname? I I am not that familiar with history. If you care to, I, I don't write. know the historic part, but I just know that it's from our side. So yeah. we don't actually allow it. Like other which, countries allow it, but we yeah. don't allow it. So, which, <laughs> which is very restrictive. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I did read through the Reddit thread you sent you ago, but you know, there's speculation on. Yeah. I, but... I, I don't think Reddit was the right link. <laughs> Afterwards, I, I sent a Wikipedia link, but, which is much better, but at least it's, it, it's more objective than the Reddit link. Of course, Reddit is kind of like, like you said, speculative, right? Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. which yeah. isn't like public, I, I'm not sure how public these laws are, but everything that's not public and easily accessible is, you know, prone to speculation. So, but even here, here, politics come into play. So yeah. for instance, if you're like a European citizen and you live in Suriname, they, they are searching for ways to refold your European citizenship. Like it's insane. Like people who were like born in Europe, moved to Suriname and haven't live in, in Europe, they're trying to refolk citizenship of them as well, or it, limit, their, limit their options. How much is that due to them living here versus them not living in their country of citizenship? They're not living in the country of citizenship. But here's the, the major difference, which is, is even a bigger wrinkle in this, in this whole discussion. In the CARICOM community, we speak of citizens, citizens and citizenship. In the European countries, they speak of nationality. So, right, yeah. So the biggest, you immediately see the difference when you arrive at the airport. So if you arrive at the airport, you will have the opportunity to get into two rows if you uh, arrive at, yeah. at, the, at the airport in Suriname. There are multiple rows. There's also a 60 plus row, but we're yeah, talking but generally, about you have the, the CARICOM the resident. and local resident. Yeah, local resident. So even if you don't have the Surinamese nationality, but you're a local resident, you're allowed to go into the local lines. Whereas in, in Europe, it's nationality based. Yeah. So it doesn't right. matter where you live in the world. If you have this, the Dutch it's a passport you come in. It's a passport you come in. So it's really, that's already a clear distinction and a difference between like the CARICOM and the Caribbean community and, and Europe, for instance. But the reason I bring this up is also because of the politics on dual citizenship, where 
and Suriname, you're actually not allowed to have two nationalities. You're, you're not allowed. Um, there is a loophole in the system for people that are born in Suriname, of which the mother or the father has uh, another nationality. There's a loophole for that. See, but this, this makes it all the more complicated because there are so many circumstances, scenarios you can stack up where people can take advantage or not. And it's not just here, basically, it's anywhere in the world, but speaking specifically from our situation. But coming back to the economic, we, we kind of introduced it with the, the cultural integration, but from an economic standpoint, we, we, bro we broke down the, the narrative on why we're looking for options to, you know, be able to engage and interact with a global business economic world. And the biggest problem was receiving payments. Okay. And we're we're going to include some more. I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. Let's talk about the oil and gas industry. All right. Yeah. And the local law, the local content law that was implemented in Guyana. Could you give the TLDR on that law? So, okay. So, and in short, what the Guyanese government did is make sure there's local involvement of local companies. That's very broad. The oil and gas development. Yeah. And I'm, I'm talking very broadly, but I'm going to try to explain the issue as, as, as simple as possible. Guyana does allow dual citizenship. So Guyanese nationals living in the UK, living in Canada, living in the US, are, are able to participate with yeah. their companies in the oil and gas under the local content laws that are being used. Right. Surinamese people in Canada, the US, or Europe, are, if you would implement the same local content rule, would not be able to participate. Is that the restrictions of the dual citizenship in Is that testing dual citizenship in Is that due to dual citizenship or is that due to residency? Because no, you can't no, live no. abroad and still have the citizenship of Suriname. Yeah, but still, you have to hand in. <laughs> so that's the problem because oh, you have oh, to allow dual citizenship. To, to go through the formal processes. to If you want to do it correctly, formally, yeah. you would have to go through the process of handing in your... If you have an, another... If you have interest. Yeah. Like, that's a very big risk. Like, there are a couple of very high-end positions like the state companies, they're being, becoming the, the, the director of the CEO of one of the state companies in Suriname requires you to get the Surinamese nationality, which means letting go of the other nationality that you have. And yeah, I mean, there, there again, I don't know how many loopholes there are. Mm -hmm. I don't know to what extent they really have to add in the nationality or they get a diplomatic passport, which is now the thing with sports. So that's another segue that you're also going to have because now with the, with the football team, the Surinamese football team, there is what's called a sports passport, which is basically kind of a diplomatic passport and which is interesting. The players don't get to keep it. So when the Surinamese national team travels, the passports come along. They're being used as 
sports passport, diplo diplomatic passport. So it's basically but I don't get them take it of home. the organization. The, the yeah, it's of the state. It's owned by the state. All right. This is according to what's what was told to me. I, I have I don't have that. I have a Sudanese passport, which many people still don't fully copy. Okay. But by the case you yeah. uh, you are describing in Guyana on yeah. the opportunities from you know diaspora to engage yeah. in local content yeah. uh, is being encouraged, and that would not necessarily apply for Suriname because you have to renounce your other. You would right. either have to, if you're going to do it officially by a law, which unfortunately not a lot of people follow, follow these days, but if you're going to get caught, you're going to get caught. You have to follow the, you have to follow the rules, which would say either, uh, you would have to take this, take distance from your nationality, your non-Sudanese nationality, or the government should implement dual citizenship. Yeah. That's uh, you from an, instantly solve the economic problem. Yeah, when of getting diaspora from outside for getting diaspora. And there's a big but <laughs> because allowing the dual citizenship will also allow those people to vote. Yeah, that's why I said it's prone to control and speculation, which is the direction we didn't. We're not going into. But I want to flip this now. We're talking about people outside of the country coming here to, you know, encourage economic activity. But also from people looking, living here slash migrating to somewhere else or whatever from locals here, what opportunities does this open up for them? And would that be even beneficial? Because I am looking now at you're getting... from a... Now you're getting really in the, into the difficult aspect. Yeah. Because now you're, you're not only talking about, and that's why I brought in the culture part as well. You're not only bringing in the economic side of things where like all of a sudden jobs and opportunities that would have been given to locals all of a sudden go to the diaspora. And the locals are left with dust. So that's the economic side. But we haven't even talked about the cultural impact that's going to have. And if you ask me from a long-term perspective, of course it's good. Like for one side, the diaspora is going to get more relaxed and realize like, hey, life in Suriname is different from living in other Western countries. You're going to have to adapt. You don't want to kill yourself. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I can give you a basic example. The first year that I came back, and I started working in Suriname. I think the first three weeks, every day around 12 p.m., I would be sweating profusely, like my clothes would be drained of sweat. And why was that? I was still walking the same pace that I was walking in Europe. Yeah, we have high humidity, hot temperature. And so you have to adapt like to weird, weird kind of quirky things. You have to adapt when you move from, from like countries, uh, like European countries to Suriname. And why am I bringing this up? Also culturally, like things that are culturally like sound in, in, in part mm -hmm. of the world when you come to, to, to Caribbean countries, but also Suriname, 
they aren't so fundamentally sound anymore because it's a different culture. Yeah. But, but from the long term, if, if we're just being honest, long term, we would really benefit from it. Because yeah, coming back yeah, to a matter of professionality. Coming back to your thesis, getting that reverse brain in here to yeah. impact impact the local neighborhood, local community, local environment. You uh, would get higher gentrification because yeah. people need a place to stay. So they will, certain areas, certain neighborhoods would start flourishing due to gentrification. You would have different kind of that. Well, what's that? Gentrification. Gentrification is, is if you have a neighborhood and all of a sudden the, the quality of the, the, the level of the homeowners kind of goes up. So. So say it's a neighborhood that's that's very impoverished, and artists come mm-hmm. live there, and they decide like we're just gonna, we don't have a lot of money, but we're just gonna make it nicer to live. So we're gonna paint a couple of areas. We're just gonna clean up that the street is less less dirty. Uh, so and it's like a halo sudden, effect. All of a sudden, it it becomes a little bit more rightfully yeah. attractive. And when it's attractive, all of a sudden, other people are like, wait, this is actually pretty nice neighborhood to live and people start buying Got property it. in that neighborhood which makes the property more expensive makes the and quality makes, of yeah. life go up as well so that's basically gentrification in very simple terms so i think that's 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 a very big positive and looking expanding it for more of urban development to a national looking from it from a national perspective and developing your country it's very interesting as well if you can have the reverse grain drain because these are like really the small things. Like they're going to command a better quality of service in local restaurants. For yeah. So these kind of things are like... It's going to get pushed automatically. Like You're, you're going to get a push. You're going to get people that get motivated. There are also going to be a lot of people complaining because that's the flip side of things. It puts more pressure. You, you like... You're get you're gonna get more pressure to get the same results because all of a sudden you're competing against more people. And some of these people are even more qualified than you are. You still have the local advantage knowing how the market locally works. Yeah. But when it comes from a, a skill level, you're you're gonna be less skilled than maybe the competition coming in. Well, that's subjective too, right? Yeah, it is. But it, it's on like average, speaking, yeah, on, on average, average it, it is just because different environment. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to touch on that because that, that, that yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I do quickly want to, because that's one of the things that diaspora underestimates when they come. Sure now, right? A lot of people work in very structured environments in, when they're in the diaspora. And when they come to Suriname, they think that the same structure will be there. So the things that they were able to do in the country that they came from, that they will be able to do it in Suriname as well. But then all of a sudden, they, they, they get confronted with the fact that they don't have the same structure. So they don't have the same backing when it comes to support, which means that they are not able to achieve the same things that they were able to achieve in the countries that they came from. And that's also a reason why some people come back they have very big models and say, like, I've got to do this. I'm able to do this. I've done this in the Netherlands. I've done that in the U.S. Yeah. And then they come because here they and they're like. And, different and, resources and, and Yeah, and then they blame it on somebody else. But it's like, no, you have to self-reflect as well. You're not going to have the same structure that you had there. 
You're not going to have the same support that you're going to have there. You're going to have to be able to do more things yourself. You can be an expert there and focus on the niche, but then when you get to Surinav, you're going to have to be more all around as well. So I think that's, that's, yeah, that's important. Yeah, Rowan does take a good point on the higher rent prices and displacement, but that comes when, you know, you have a, a conglomeration of economic activity concentrated in one area. It's, it's I think, natural cause and effect. You, you may be able to mitigate it to some degree, but I do believe like the environment is going to find equilibrium based on supply and demand being a, you know, what's wanted and what's not wanted. It, it might balance out. You could be very unlucky and get into a situation where the gentrified neighborhood where it, it goes completely insane economics-wise. And then you have to be able to get out. And, and I yeah, think then you get out. That, that's, that's basically the case that's happening to Silicon Valley, to the California Bay Area. A lot of tech people are leaving there just because it's ridiculously expensive. But... Yeah, coming back to that part on, you know, dual citizenship on people trying to do business here outside. So let's reverse that, exporting your brain by staying local and making use of the infrastructure. So I have seriously considered, you know, looking at a different passport, just, just the passport is already a huge advantage to one, be able to travel, to be able to access facilities in certain regions, depending on the passport you have, especially in Europe. Okay, uh, question again, though. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting. No, that's perfectly fine. But, but if you would take a different passport, like I think the architect, what were the passports that were mentioned? Let's say Malta. Let's say Malta, for instance. Yeah, let's, that's Europe. Let's say yeah, you, you're rich. You sell one of your most profitable NFTs and you buy a passport for Malta. Like, how would that, does that work? Do you have to enter your Sudanese nationality, yes or no? No, it's each country has different regulations, but obviously the countries that provide these, they call it citizenship by investment. I think all of them or most of them allow dual citizenship. It is the country of, origin that that's the problem yeah so would Suriname allow you to pay a hundred thousand dollars to get the citizenship from Malta or I think it's a million even I think Malta is a few million yeah but yeah what Suriname allow it they can stop you because you can renounce it the thing is would you be allowed to keep it that is the question yeah so that's what I mean or will they force you to choose and I well how many people do you know that rock to nationalities. <laughs> yeah, well, see, there, well, there you get into the loophole part. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about in the beginning about the, the, the loss, but what would you give up for the advantages? I think it's something you'll have to look Well, look then why don't you just move? <laughs> that, that, because, that, because you like the life here. But because it is restrictive. Yeah, but I mean, like you move, you're going to live there and then you come back. I don't, I don't know. I, I think this is such that we're having this conversation. It's just, uh, it's just wrong in essence because politics, yeah. the politics I, I, doesn't I, work. I, I agree. Yeah. That, that is where I totally agree. Work. We are having this conversation because the, the structure of the, 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 the world 
has made it so that you need to look for these opportunities. How much well, the crypto solve this? See that that's a different thing entire. I, I won't say different thing entirely, entirely. It does have a certain degree of indirect effects, but it doesn't solve the problem of res residency and citizenship and being able to move geographically. It solves the problem of being to move financially, globally, but not physically, geographically. So here's, here's the problem. <clears throat> and I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I don't agree with it. But it also has to do with the, the diligence, <laughs> trusting, trusting like this person. Because you can be financially free. But you can't move anywhere in the world because geographic, geogra geographic geographic policy policies don't allow you to go to certain countries exactly because you're being flagged and even being flagged for reasons that aren't even like they don't make sense. So, so unless we really talk about how they're going to solve that, and yeah, it's getting more difficult. That's going to be true purgatory. Yeah, and. and this the reason. This is the reason why I started the whole Watamati, which is a game that I play with with locals here, to understand like the impact of the drugs world. So like if you're being associated with somebody that sells drugs or is in the world of drugs, you will have dollars close to you for no reason whatsoever. The doors are close. close to you. Door. You, door. The yeah, doors door. will be closed. Yeah. You will yeah. not be able to get a certain visa. You will not be able to conduct certain business outside yeah, yeah. of Suriname. And people don't underestimate, like, first of all, okay, yes, you can blame politics for it. <clears throat> but the bigger issue is like, you get stuck. Yeah. And unless you find a way to legally get unstuck, you're going to be stuck for the rest of your life. Then you can't move anywhere. So I think like, this is one of the things that is really underestimated from a moral and ethics perspective, but also like how different countries kind of control how the world moves and how exactly. everybody gets to, gets to move. It's, it's a really, really difficult and touchy subject. It's very complex. Yeah. So to jump into the, to the, the Twitch question, how do you feel about the question? Do you think, do you guys think the United States, U.S. economic crescendo effect will affect us globally, especially Syria? Yes, we're already feeling it. I mean, we're, we're feeling everything. We're, we're feeling the war between Ukraine and Russia. Because the U.S. basically writes the narrative, that being the key word of this country. Yeah, largely. largely. Yeah. Writes the narrative, the, especially the economic narrative of especially the Western Hemisphere. And what happens there affects every single country in the world, but especially the West. And we countries in the Caribbean, countries like us, who depend on a foreign trade with especially the US dollar, will feel it double. We already have local inflation here. But keep in mind, the US dollar is also inflating in itself. So we are feeling like double inflation. But because we still require US dollars to facilitate trade internationally for import or whatever, because that is the currency of choice. 
for lack of a better word, between countries, we still need to use that. So there is basically, even though the US dollar is inflating, there is a shortage of US dollars in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> And the best way is to leave it at that and not print more US dollars. <laughs> but that's another topic. So I, I think that like, is. <laughs> you have touched briefly upon the, the center periphery uh, theory, whereas you have like the economic center of the world, which is considered New York, London, uh, Tokyo. That's yep, kind yeah. of considered. Consider Speaking the, of the, Japan, like Japan, yeah. uh, the yen, I think last week or a few days ago, also. Uh, lost its power to the dollar significantly. Yeah. yeah. So it's so, that you have the center and you have the periphery and the periphery is basically everybody else. So, and, and this is like one of the topics that most people don't understand, especially people that are like, I want to be the president of Suriname one day. Like you have to understand that once you're able to win like the local war and become the president of Suriname, you might be considered like the most influential politician in Suriname. But then you go outside of Suriname, then you see the rest of the world. And then you're like, really what small, tiny bit. And you kind of have to listen to other countries with a bit more power. Say like, you know what? You should vote to this. You know, you want our support. Okay, do this. So, so like understanding like the, the dynamics once you get outside of your own country. It's just, and that's why I like to, to, to use the, the spark narrative. Because it's quite easy if you're like, put in the effort and put in the work for five to 10 years, you can become like the top 1% in any sport in Suriname. Like you can occasionally win the national championship. You can end the top, the top three. When, as long as you put in enough effort, you will be. Okay, I, I want to throw, yeah. throw it a curveball to you though yeah. uh, with your sports narrative. Yeah. Yes, you spend the five, 10 years excelling yeah. at your craft, excelling at your sport, yeah. getting the yeah. top. Realistically, how many athletes in this context are actually making a living off of that? Okay, it really depends on what sport you decide to go to. Okay, like Renzo, let's take Renzo, who's been a guest at our, our, on our show. Renzo, I, I would consider him top 30 of the world. Yeah, swimming, right? Oh, We're talking about swimming. In, in his his speciality, he would be top thirty of the world. He holds all the national records, like really all of them. He is right now, even for the Dutch standards, I think he's top three in the Netherlands. He has won national championships in the Netherlands. So, but even the Netherlands on that uh, that specific for swimming don't does, doesn't have somebody in the top eight. You know, so like, but, but I would consider him at least maybe even top 30 and he, he might be even be able to push it further and, and get higher up the ladder. I do believe he has, has that potential and he might be able to surprise us or confirm to what he wants to achieve. But he earns a lot, 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 lot less than a football player who plays in the third ranked division in any country in Europe. Yeah. So you have to under, understand that yeah. like, a third level player, like you're not playing Premier League, you're playing, you're not playing championship, you're, you're playing League One. 
You're 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 not even play. So it's it's a third level division in football, but you're still getting paid. Okay, so on, on that yeah. example, yeah. where how does that football club, that player, get funded to be able to pay out that play, those players? Commercially, like these these are clubs that fill the stadium of five thousand fans every week or yeah. every two weeks. So there is a revenue from uh, gate revenue from people supporting the club. In case you missed it, I think. So that's why I think comparing. What, what's the like, guy's name? Oh, football, sorry, it's not a so, fair comparison. What what's uh, Ryan right Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds bought uh, an English football club. Yeah, you get that Wrexham, I think he bought an English football club. So that's just to give you like a perception of. Football, yeah, right? no, but but the that's why the relevance of football. Yeah, but that's why I don't big. think it's a it's a fair comparison. No, but it uh, gives you a, per, a perspective. Yeah. It gives you a perspective. So if you're doing it for the money, if you're if you're if you're really focusing on which part would I be able to excel and be financially independent, would be completely different. Like how far can I reach? Jair Tranefa, who was fourth at the Olympics, was the first person since then Anthony Nasty to reach the finals at the Olympics for sure now. Like he still has to get funded by the UCI, the the International Cycling Federation. He has a scholarship to mm-hmm. train in Switzerland. You just have to imagine that like it's and and his parents still have to pay. Like if if he has to get a new bike, a new outfit, a new helmet, anything, if the bike has to repair, his parents have to pay for it. Yeah, because that is not a commercial, I, I would call it like this commercially viable sport because you don't fill up a, a big stadium yeah. and have thousands of people every day. Then you get into the fighting sports. Like, and this is interesting because Donovan Wiss is now a two-time glory champion, middleweight champion for glory. And he also asked like, hey guys, can I have my dual citizenship? Can I get my sport passport? So very relevant, but I think he's on top of the world. Even for him, the revenue that he makes is still. Yeah, it's very. I think only the UFC, even Biggie Boy, has it's very. Biggie Boy, I feel, has a low. decent, gets a decent cut, like a, a very decent cut. Yeah, but um, then that's like the peak of the peak. That, that's the, like the top of the top of the top of yeah. the top of the top. So getting there is like near impossible as well for the average person. Yeah. So going you on, you have to get much more support to get there, or be more disciplined, because that's also another. And I would say, and yeah, you have to be much more disciplined. And I think that's also where a lot of frustration comes in, because I, I think I, we already mentioned it somewhere during this episode. You're trying to survive, like it's that's something that. And I think a lot of people in the Surinamese diaspora take that for granted. Their frame of reference doesn't take into account that people that live here are surviving. Yeah. They're literally surviving every day, every day to day. They're surviving. With you're in a structure. And 10% what they what you earn in that structure. Yeah. But uh, but when you live abroad, you live in like an environment, in an infrastructure, a structure that's being set up. It's like a social construct, which is there that you don't have to worry about. When all of a sudden you're here and you realize like, hey, shit's just different. 
So I think that's also something to take in consideration. What would we advise like for people who want to stay here and not being able to get dual citizenship, how to kind of excel in similar ways that you would excel outside of Suriname, but you're doing it from Suriname. I don't want to give advice. <laughs> <laughs> You wanna you wanna go with the the Magnus Carlsen uh, the the Jose Mourinho Magnus Carlsen draw the what <laughs> I, so, I didn't get that reference okay so this is yeah okay so it, Magnus it Carlsen no it, Magnus Carlsen Magnus Carlsen is is the world champion chess of chess for uh, the last decade and he played a tournament and he withdraw drew himself from the tournament. And the, the running theory right now is that the person he lost to the last match that he played is cheating. But they haven't yet figured out how he's cheating. But that's the narrative that, that, he's, that he's cheating. And Magnus Carlsen hasn't convicted him of cheating, but has withdrawn and hinted like he, he, put, he tweeted out a video of Jose Mourinho like, I, if I talk about why I'm, why? I would get into trouble. So basically, he's separating himself from the equation. But that, that's a narrative that people have to understand. And I think still, why do people cheat? Why do people steal? It's because they feel they get treated unfairly. And people at the top are taking advantage of them. And they're just looking at the people on the top and saying, like, hey, if you're allowed to do that, I'm allowed to do that as well. And that's kind of the situation that it's a very father-son approach. And that's also the interesting part about Western countries and developing countries, that the Western countries are like, you have to confirm to our standards, standards that we've brought in place with money that we've earned through slavery. And this is the way that you should set up your country. And this is the correct way to run a country. Imperial. And the countries are like, wait a minute. I think the term for yeah. this was new imperialism. Yes. <laughs> so, so I think that that's the main, the main issue, and and and, and it starts with with Che Guevara and, and Fidel Castro, and, and then goes to Escobar and, and similar kind of situation. I always wonder, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. I'm not going to dive too deep into details because I will say things that I will have to create context for. Without context, people won't yeah. be able to understand it, but. I always look, and this is something I want to spend more time in in the next five years, five to ten years. I want to understand why Western society looks at Napoleon Bonaparte as kind of a cult hero and looks at Simon Bolivar as a much more negative perspective. For me, there is a lot of similarity to yeah, Napoleon and Simon Bolivar. Those two pretty similar. Yeah, but I, if you look at the Western history books, they won't be. So that's something mm. that I'm, I'm really, really interested in. But to point on Twitch, I would just say, keep educating yourself. <laughs> try. <laughs> just try different things as much as possible. And learn. Learn. Yeah. <laughs> learn from your experiences. I think that's, that's the best thing. And if something looks shady or off, stay away from it. It probably is. Yeah. If something looks too good if to be true, if it's shady, if you don't understand it, 
Leave if it you alone. don't understand it from first principles theory. And if you want to know more about first principles, go back to a few tens of episodes where we explain first <laughs> principles. <laughs> put it in there. Okay. I'll put it in there. So I, I think I think we we kind of discussed everything, not not a little bit briefly as well. To to close off opportunity of equality of opportunity versus equality of all. What's your your take? What's your take on that? So, so for instance, like I have a lot of discussions, like (laughs) you, you can go from the most extreme, like, like Andrew Tate to like more nuanced clinical experts, like Jonathan Peterson. Yeah. (laughs) And like, there's a lot in between Ben Shapiro many other names that, that f- would fill into that space. And there, we have the, like the thought leaders that I look up to are like people like Simon Sinek and they're like a, a completely different spectrum, but I am fascinated by the statements that they makes and their, their perspectives that they share online. And Jordan Peterson is, is really being called out on, on specific narratives. And the reason, main reason for it is he believes in equality of opportunity, but he doesn't necessarily believe in equality of, of outcome. And to a certain extent, I actually have to agree with him on that because you can give people the same opportunity, but if one wants to work for it and the other doesn't, there will not be equality of outcome. And if you're going to strive towards equality of outcomes, you're going to reward people who didn't do anything yeah. for not doing anything, which is just in no way fair. And then you get into like this socialist kind of structure and it's like, okay, but, but how, how fair, how fair is equality of outcome? Is it fair? So for context to build on equality of outcome, it's basically the output, right? The, the results. And this is where. I would say I would lean to, I would don't want to lean too much into communism and the, the, the China <laughs> authoritarian uh, state, but UBI kind of placed the, the debate on UBI was also around this basically on or for people don't know U, what UBI, UBI mean, universal, universal, universal basic income, income. Yeah. there's this concept on, you know, giving people a set amount of income per month, regardless of status or whatever to live by. And this is kind of more the socialist regime. And I lean towards a more equal equality of opportunity side, because that is where actually I believe that that makes a difference that creates competitiveness that creates innovation, I would say, and environment to grow, expand. So I lean into more towards that. And yeah, I, I, I with that being said, I, I won't even look as much to equality of outcome. I do believe that people can, if they are nurtured, placed in a competent environment, they, most of the time, of course, personalities withstanding, most people would be able to make the most of it it to the extent of their abilities. 
And you can't really have the same outcome with someone who has, for example, better genes in sports, like a better physique, and expect the same outcome with someone who is kind of, you know, have, has a illness or something. Well, it totally depends on, yeah. on, on, on but, the effort that you put into it. No, but the effort reaches um, uh, a certain roof as well. But the, the opportunity yeah, it's, it's, no, be. but No, but if you get the same opportunity, like you get the same training facilities, you get the same everything. Yeah. I mean, that's, that should be enough. Like, yeah. and, and the problem with universal basic income is it will inflate. It will just inflate. Like, it, it will start out like this. Oh, wow. Everybody gets a certain amount per month. And then all what, of a sudden. Basically like, what happened? It's worth nothing. <laughs> it yeah. already happened. It's a stimulus package. It's, it's 2020, 2021 was the price. Turn out with ESO. It's like, like it, it only works to a certain extent because the market economics will completely demolish and destroy it at the end. So, I mean, it, it doesn't, like, unless you want to do the China approach, which is completely yeah, different. <laughs> Like I, I, I don't feel control. way that it that's that it that it would work. So so I do I would definitely feel like and that's the thing that's the thing that bothers me with the dual citizenship part. Like give give uh, equality of opportunity. Allow yeah. allow everyone to have dual citizenship. From outside like, and yeah. uh, inside, it creates literally creates more opportunity. It creates it, it does create more complexity as well. It will take another 20 years to get used to uh, because the dynamics will completely shift. And again, at this moment, there is no interest from politics in Suriname to, to open the dual nationalities because it will make, it will also bring a major shift in, in the voting, the voting during, during the elections. So I don't think that's at this moment, they're either even considering it as opportunity even though it would bring the most economic prosperity to Suriname and it would catapult, like it, it would accelerate the growth of Suriname economically so much, uh, they won't do it because they would also get like, They're playing a different game. They're playing a different game. It's Let's a different that game. Down. So that if you're talking about Jordan Peterson's analogies and examples, there's this, he had this concept about games. You need mm -hmm. to understand what games are being played. And then you either play by those in that game or remove your. I just don't play the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's it's time for one last question, since we haven't done overrated, underrated, real estate in Suriname, overrated or underrated or overpriced. <laughs> Let's keep it at overrated, underrated. Overrated. Well, in what sense is it overrated? It depends on where you are in your life, I'd say, and yeah. the type of at what stage you are and the type of person you are. If you, I would say if you resonate more with me, you're in the younger age bracket, you still want to explore different things, I would say overrated. If you're ready to, you know, settle for the next 10, 15, 20 years, then it doesn't matter if it's overpriced. Okay, here I'm right. going to go back in my role as a policy advisor. From, from probably an investment perspective, it's, it's different. But from a policy perspective, it's highly, highly underrated. We are, policy-wise, we're giving so little attention to the, the housing situation and the housing problems that we currently have. There, there are big problems like 
housing problems in Suriname, which why should they be getting more attention? And hopefully we'll be getting more attention in the next couple of years. But I, I actually haven't looked at real estate too in depth. So me saying it's overrated is just... Overrated as a form of investment that you would go flip real estate, for instance, or buy real estate as an investment in Suriname. I would be really careful with that. Yeah, I would, I would be really careful with that. But from a policy perspective, I think it's, it's wow, it's so underrated. There we go. All right. Real estate everywhere overrated. Overpriced. <laughs> At the overpriced. Yeah. overpriced. Yeah. yeah, it's overpriced. Definitely. <laughs> Not just here. Not just here. Okay. So and I blame COVID. You blame, I think, the banking loans and the percentages that they use now. But I feel no, it's, no, no. it's more complex than that. And yeah, I don't want to go into that. Okay. So we're going to close off today's episode. It was kind of an interlude episode. The topic was very random, but then again, something of very much of our interest. So we got to dive a little bit deeper into dual citizenship, which is really cool from my perspective. Next week, I might have a logistical problem, but we're going to focus on pulling another Social Confluence episode off and we will be back next week. Simply. All right. Something you had, Diego? No, you said it all. Yeah. Getting back in the rhythm. I want to ask you a question though. Now that I think of it. Why is Bitcoin Bitcoin going down under 20K and Ethereum going up above 1500? Do you want anything I say? <laughs> it's not financial advice, <laughs> right? but I, no, I, no, no. I'm just curious. I have no idea why Bitcoin is going under 20K and I don't care. Yeah. But on the Ethereum speculation is because the merge is coming up in two weeks, I think 10 days. Yeah. And there's speculation on that happening. So there's going to be some volatility. Going up or down. So I will not be taking any action for the next <laughs> month on either chain. I put in my positions and that's it. Awesome. We'll keep it at that. Thank you again and see you next time. Bye bye.